0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Robert Deneve. He's the president and CEO at BrightLab. Robert, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys is, are doing is is actually really cool and innovative, but maybe before we kind of get into Bright Lab, let's get to know you a little bit better and kind of start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. I, I grew up in the middle of Silicon Valley. It was called Santa Clara Valley in those days. Uh, okay. I was surrounded by orchards and uh, farmland. Beautiful and it's been country. a great... Oh, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Still is. Just has sure. a couple more buildings in it. But really <laughs> watch this place grow and uh, develop into the innovation capital of the world.
0: Sure. So you, you went to UC Santa Clara. What did you take there and, and why, what was the reasoning behind taking that?
1: Well, I went to several schools. I, I went to uh, kind, of a pol- I have a, kind of a polyglot education. Okay. Uh, first, I came up as an optical engineer. So I went to the University of Rochester, started up. Opt- studied optics there, one of the best optical schools in the world. Then I went to San Jose City and went through their laser program, probably the best applied laser program around, and went to UC Santa Cruz uh, for business management uh, later on.
0: Okay, so what, what kind of got you into wanting to go into kind of technology and engineering just because you were in kind of the heart of it or, or kind of walk me through that?
1: Well, like many people um, in engineering, uh, it can be traced back to, you know, sci-fi, uh, sure. watching Star Trek, you know, seeing what Spock did and and uh, <laughs> Scotty, you know. Sure, I mean, a great. lot of us, believe, uh, you know, believe it or not, we're inspired as young kids by those programs. So I just kind of followed that into engineering, and I was fortunate enough to be in the engineering innovation capital of the world. So, you know, I, I happened to be here, happened to like it saw lasers and optics as the most sci-fi of the dis- engineering disciplines and got into that.
0: Sure, that, that's great. So you are president and CEO of Bright Lab. Kind of walk me through kind of, well, it was originally eSystems. So walk me through kind of how did it go from E Systems to kind of Bright Lab?
1: Okay, so uh, we, uh, like a lot of engineers in this valley, started in the semiconductor equipment right. industry. And a little-known fact is that that industry is one of the few American-originated uh, industries that are still that's uh, still dominated by American companies. Really, it's a big success story. Yes, it is big success story that nobody knows about.
0: Wasn't it? Wasn't it kind of started in in the late '60s, if I remember correctly? Was that correct?
1: Well, the chip guys, you know, started this valley, and a bunch of people left Fairchild, Cameron Instruments, right, and right, HP right. was here. The Varian brothers were here, so there's a lot of tech guys here. And uh, you know, the the Fairchild guys started, um, you know, building on what the guys did, uh, uh, you know, on, with integrated circuits um, over at Motorola and other places. And it really started uh, productizing in, in integrated circuits. So the chip guys started. In the, in the 70s. And then the equipment guys, the applied materials, Novelluses, LAM, KLA 10 cores, they kind of spun out of the chip guys, right? The chip guys said, look, you know, we need equipment guys to focus on equipment while we focus on chips. And that's the industry I started in the late 70s. Sure. And we were all driven by Moore's Law, which means every year and a half crank out uh, a new technology because chips were doubling in computing power. And ha- having in price, so that was the operational tempo. And, and as a result, even though we were faced with international onslaught of competition, we beat everybody back. And the chip equipment industry is still U.S. dominated. Really? And that's where we we came out of that industry. And and some of us decided to attack uh, manufacturing and new product development as as the next industry that needs to be saved.
0: Sure. So it, was that eSystems or, or walk me through that whole thing?
1: Right. So I started as an engineer um, at, at KLA 10 Corps, uh, moved into management, got into executive management, ran a robot company called Equip.
2: Okay, very we cool. became
1: the number, number one robot company in the world. Uh, and awesome. we had international competition. Built two hundred thousand of these wafer handling robots, modules, and systems, and uh, we're very successful. And decided that once we sold that company, to start a company called Equip Business Systems, okay, right, or E yeah. Systems for short, to take that operating methodology that we used to be competitive uh, worldwide, and now we sell that as a service or a solution set to other OEMs.
0: Okay, so how did you? find the OEMs did you have previous relationships with them or did you reach out to to a bunch of them or kind of a bit of both
1: yeah well the valley is it's a big valley but it's also a small valley at the sure. same time so a lot of us knew one another and most of uh, you know the executives running companies you know in, in, uh, in uh, nowadays we're engineers in the old days so we all kind of know each other and you start using your network sure. so we were able to grow our company initially through that network and, and through the um, value proposition of, uh, and mantra of we're a company built by OEMs for OEMs.
2: Ah, got so the,
1: the OEMs, the other product people kind of like that that, sure. that, they, that for the first time in their supply chain they had pe- previous product guys, previous OEMs now helping other OEMs uh, be more successful.
0: Sure, so walk me through kind of how eSystems turned into Bright Lab and kind of how is it similar and how is it the same or different?
1: Great. Great question. So what we did, like many companies, we went out after several years of funding e-systems ourselves and growing. Uh, you know, we hit about $30 million a year. Uh, it was our peak uh, when you combined our machine shop revenue and with our system design and integration revenue. We uh, said, look, for us to grow into 50, 100, 200 million, Okay. And, you know, we're going to need outside money. So a year and a half ago, I went on a, on, on a mission to look for a Series A strategic investor. We found one. They put money in. Um, and we decided that because we had such lofty you know, next step goals that we wanted to kind of repackage a little bit. And we chose the name Bright Lab to kind of, you know, show this inflection point of going from a regional local, um, you know, manufacturing new product tech. introduction and technology company to a global one.
0: Sure. So, what exactly does Bright Lab do? Because it's it's quite intense and awesome what you guys do, kind of just in
1: the valley. Yeah. So, I I always tell people we're we're the world's first and only OEM certified product innovation and realization company. And what that means is, sure,
0: that was going to be my next question to you. Sorry, that's what I was
1: going to ask you. So, yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say what that really means is that we're a bunch of ex-product guys who did it for 40 years, you know, uh, the right way and the wrong way. Learned from the wrong ways and then, uh, you know, learned from doing it the right way. And now what we do is we help other companies accelerate product development. And uh, we and 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 realize that product. And realization means doing the prototype and you know new product introduction, ramp it, release it, you know, get into volume manufacturing, and then optimize it from a value engineering standpoint.
0: Okay, so obviously, you guys are building physical things, um, and they're probably anywhere from you know, kind of just ha- some technical components to kind of non-technical components and then kind of everywhere in between or, or what type of stuff do you guys kind of usually work on
1: so uh there's a spectrum of products kind of in our world right we look at products um through this lens and and it's it shows on one end of this spectrum it's industrial products which are characterized by h- uh, high complexity but relatively low volume so okay. these are b2b or business to business sales right we sell equipment to other companies. So those are industrial products, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have consumer products, which are uh, characterized by relatively lower complexity and considerably higher volume. Uh, we saw the need for a company that could do both, Okay. because with this in- internet of things revolution that's going on, sure. we, pre- we predicted there would be a hybrid, a family of hybrid, hybrid products, which have the complexity of an industrial product but the quantity of a consumer product for example a robot okay. a robot is the is the quintessential example of this hybrid high mix high complexity you know high volume product that's that's coming on the scene and we felt people with our experience were the best ones to help customers develop and launch those
0: oh very cool okay so let's let's go on the robot concept for a second so i have an idea for some sort of robot that does something at what point would I come to, to you at Bright Lab, uh, whether it's, like, on a napkin? Does, do I need to have kind of a rough prototype that kind of works? Or or where do you guys kind of fit in that puzzle?
1: Oh, great question, Kevin. Um, a lot of people don't fully realize what it takes to build a product. You, you have sure. to go through this um, crucible, this death march called the product sure. life cycle. Okay. And a lot of people know it intellectually, but they don't um, – you know, know it or practice it, you know, practically and and, and on an everyday basis. We do. So we have six phases of the product lifecycle. So if you came to me, right, I would, because of our expert, you know, uh, domain expertise uh, and being OEMs and product people for since the 70s, uh, we would be able to, to factually tell you where you are in that product uh, development and life cycle.
2: Okay. And,
1: and there's six phases
2: okay. right that we've
1: identified over the years. The first phase is industrial design,
2: okay. right?
1: The second phase is product engineering. Third is rapid prototyping. fourth is new product introduction. Fifth is manufacturing, sixth is uh, product support. Sure. So once we once we figured out where you were, you would plug into our system. It's like a node. You you. plug in and we would immediately uh, provide you with a uh, demonstrated solution set and then help you continue your way on to full realization.
0: Okay. so obviously. Well, so do I have to come to your facility or how does that kind of work?
1: Well, it's great if you came here. Obviously, It's always better face-to-face, but we have telepresence robot technology, and and with all the other technologies available, there's a lot of remote assessment and evaluation we can do. So we deal with people in Scandinavia. We deal with people in Asia. I'm dealing with people from New Orleans right now. And um, our goal is to assess where their product is, what the product maturity index or PMI value is, and then deliver the, the known solution, right, uh, set to them so that they can continue to do what they do best, which is product innovation. And let us handle the, the, the rest of that operating system, right, that's needed to bring a product to fruition. Sure. So how
0: do, you, how do you work with me in the sense of, like, do I pay you a fee? Do you guys take equity? A little bit of both? How does that kind of work?
1: We've done all of the above. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, that we focus on is by having a highly flexible and adaptable business system, or business operating system. We use that term a lot,
2: because sure.
1: the analogy I use on my tours is that we're the OS, the operating system. And our tours are pretty unique, because you can see the whole product life cycle all in one facility it's almost like a showcase you look out the window you see everything from industrial design to engineering to new product introductions all laid out people have said in the past oh it looks like a museum in here and kind of you know it's a functional functional museum depicting the product development and life cycle And so what we've done is, you know, we've done time and material, right? People just want to hire engineering time or they want us to fix something or just ramp and build something. Or we've taken, you know, equity in in a company. If uh, You know, we don't do that as much anymore because of the risk profile, but we have done it. But the basic engagement is uh, one of OEM to OEM, right? True peer-to-peer collaboration. When customers come to see us and talk to us, they immediately register with you know something. they're like, "This is different than my other suppliers, and, and it's because we're product guys, so we speak the same language, have the same you know experiences in business culture. So we're the only company that can provide true OEM to OEM collaboration. Sure.
0: no, I, I think that's great. So you guys are in San Jose. Um, are you mm-hmm. guys planning on opening other kind of locations or is one enough or, or is it just kind of
1: too early to kind of tell well that's one of my favorite questions kevin because as an old engineer i you know now as an, ex- as an executive trying to grow a company sure. i look at this facility as a product oh, right and we have just finished finished beta testing it we're and it's released customers are using it and now my job as the product manager, if you will, is to clone it. And we have a very sure. unique cloning system. Uh, we have plans to uh, take this uh, facility, our product, which is the perfect size, in our opinion, sure. fifty-five thousand square feet. You know, it can handle 150, 200 people. Wow. Uh, do you know, seventy-five to one hundred million dollars, maybe, maybe one twenty-five. And we think that's the perfect size not it's 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 got the flexibility of a small company, but the stability and structure um of a large company so this size is the size that we plan on cloning there's plans to have seven of these sites wow everywhere there's a high tech cluster in the u s and wow. now we're talking to Europe uh about a possible site or two there
0: that that's great so and I don't know if you can kind of mention any product names that people would have heard of, but what type of stuff has kind of come and kind of, you know, that has Bright Lab kind of put out in the last, you know, few years that, you know, you were maybe passionate about? And maybe even if you can't mention like specific product names, maybe just
1: like sectors or or verticals. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're very diverse, um, having come from the semi equipment industry, where you're building these crazy machines to build ever, you know, more powerful chips. Sure. Uh, you learn a lot about a lot of different technologies, so you can apply that to things like biomed, sure. automobile industry, defense. Uh, an a- analytical instrumentation, alternative energy. So we're in all of those verticals. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, and we we've had we've had most of our companies are small, uh, you know, I, in, internet of thing type companies. So if right. you walk through our facility, you'd see all sorts of crazy little widgets. Uh, but we also have worked with you know Fortune five hundred companies and big names like Tesla. Sure, you know, we built the first one hundred fifty thousand. Uh, charge ports, you know, where you really? kind of plug into the the car. Yeah, Very we built cool, all those. Man. Oh yeah, we, yeah. So we and so and then we've had companies. Um, we've had Google, right? We did sure. some uh, some some design work for Google. So we have big name companies, and we have kind of up and coming companies. Probably one of the coolest products we're building right now um, is a, a, a self balancing a skateboard called One Wheel. You can okay. go to. One, one wheel. Go to YouTube and, and look up one wheel. The coolest product we've ever built, and, and it incorporates a classic hybrid product with the high complexity of an industrial, you know, mechatronic robotic system systems, but with the consumer appeal and quantity of, you know, a, a, a skateboard. Right, kind of blending those two, and you get this very unique highly addictive ride and, and it feels like you're snowboarding or surfing that's even cool. though you're kind of cruising on cement so please check that out that's a perfect example of what's to come
0: sure so do you guys do kind of a lot of hardware and software integration where you know you'll build i don't know like does the one wheel have like an app that i can control or or like you have like a little robot on on the site like is there like an ipad or an app or something that you guys would work with or do you guys kind of stay away from that or or how does that work
1: so typically the customers that come here are brilliant customers you know brilliant engineers right sure and they come up with the software and then a lot of times we do the hardware for them got you but they're because they're software focused in the case of one wheel these guys are sharp they they came to us with the whole system we just help them fine-tune and get it ready for manufacturing the NPI new product introduction Uh, portion so it really depends on who your customer is we've done it and we have the ability to do software development hardware development and integration but every customer is different and they pick and choose
0: got you so how do you decide or do you guys have like a set of guidelines that allow you or to decide who you work with or what type of products or projects you take on
1: uh, yes, um, as a as a growing and developing company, you know one of the one of the benefits of, of of being an established company is you can pick and choose a little better than when you're a startup. Sure. You know, in the old days when we first started in oh seven, we we took on anybody, right? Sure. But uh, now we're a little more selective, so we use what's called uh, the a qualification scorecard, okay, or a Q score. And, they, and every customer, every lead, that, that potential customer that comes through here, we run them through our our qualification process, just like they're running us through some kind of supplier, right? Sure. Process, And we come up with a Q-score. And uh, on a scale of 0 to 100, you know, uh, someone like BMW, right, that yeah. came through here, or Intel, or, you know, they're like in the mid to the high 90s, right? Sure, sure. They're... And then some company that has two kids working out of their mother's kitchen, uh, they might get a, a Q score of 15 or 20. Right. So um, I could just, I could, without getting into detail, I, I could tell you there has been a big shift in Q scores. Uh, when we first started, the average Q score was 25 to 30. Now the average score is uh, 90 to 95.
0: Wow. So you have to be kind of, you have to, know what you like if i come to you with something i have to kind of have tested my idea make sure it's pretty pretty much ready to go or at least have a good idea of what i'm building not just kind of like i got this idea you guys figure it out
1: yes that's one uh one qualifier but probably the most important is funding right you need Ah, to be funded and have a runway long enough to pay your hardware bills sure (laughs) A lot of the kids will do their software on their own, but the hardware they need help with. So they tend to run out, the real low-Q customers tend to, you know, have family and friend funding, and that stuff runs out pretty quick.
0: Sure. So, and obviously this is going to be different based on um, what you're trying to build, but is there like a bare minimum that if you're like, I'm trying to build something in the hardware space that you need at least – Hundred grand, half a mil, a mil—is there kind of a range, or is it too hard to tell? Just because it's such a broad thing to ask for.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and um, I would say it is—you know—it's significant. It's in the high six figures, low okay. seven figures. If, okay. if you want to do a a complex hardware product, you, you need a runway like that. So
0: I'm curious for people that have never actually built a product that want to build a product, can you maybe dive a little bit deeper in kind of the general process? Like, it, like we kind of covered it a little bit, but like, if I have like an idea, say go from like the napkin phase to like getting it into my hand where you could make, you know, a hundred thousand of them. Is like, and what I'm asking, I guess is like, obviously you have to prototype, but is there usually like three or four revisions? Is it usually like only one or two? Is it 10? You know, like, just kind of walk me through kind of the whole process from kind of napkin to actually having it physically in my hand.
1: Sure. Um, we've had people come in, like, let's say two salespeople, right, sure. came in and said, look, at my customers that I sell these widgets to want a bigger widget. Sure. We, we're sales guys. We can market it, but we can't design it. So they would come in. They would sit down with us, let's say, in January. OK. Uh, by February, we'd have working prototypes like one month, uh, February
0: it, or like the following year, February.
1: No, no. We, we could get working prototypes in, in six, to, you know, wow. six weeks, sometimes that's, eight weeks.
2: That's
0: crazy. Yeah. Fast.
1: That's oh, awesome. Yeah. It, it, we, can, we, we can move that fast. Um, so, you know, you can get something sometimes it, it depends on the complexity. If it's low complexity, you can have sure. a prototype in, a, in, in days. Sure. High complexity, it's usually, you know, a couple uh, a month and a half, two months. Then what we do is we do testing. That might take another couple months, right? So sure. now you're in the, in the April-May time frame. Then you get some beta units, um, right, that you s- send to customers. Sure. And then you get some information back. And here you are in June, July, August. And, you know, with any luck, um, you can have this thing. You know, uh, selling in quantity in the in the fourth quarter. So wow. you could have a a a nine month rollout on a medium com- complexity part with medium uh, an assembly or a product with medium complexity.
2: Wow, higher that,
1: complexity you might increase it. Lower it would sure. be, become that, a lot less.
0: That's insanely fast. Like I've had in the past, kind of other offshore kind of hardware manufacturers, and like you guys are almost you're cutting time in like by half, if not more than that. Right. Like, and I, I think that's due to the fact that you guys have the ability to do everything in house. Correct.
1: Yeah. We're, we're pretty fast. Uh, Now, of course I do want to add a caveat, right? It depends on there's two things. The customer needs to have all their data and deliverables into us. So Uh, we call that the, the ADI milestone, right? ADI, if you're a program manager here, there's two milestones for you to get this kind of accelerated product development at launch. ADI, and you, man, you work with your customers to do that. And then AMI, which is all materials in from the supply chain. Okay. Right? So if those two milestones are on track and under control, this uh, facility rocks and rolls.
0: Sure. No, that's awesome. I, I think that's, that's actually quite fascinating. And, and I think that's one of your big kind of... Selling points why people should use you guys is you guys can do kind of everything in house, correct?
1: Yes, we have everything in one facility it's a it's a uh, integrated um, solution set as uh, we'd like to say and um, it, and the fact um, that we're XOEMs can't be overstated okay I've had a couple you know people ask me questions like um You know, we had um, um, IDO in here, which is one of the top design firms in the world, right? Sure, yeah. And they came in and we had, um, you know, meticulously engineered one of their prototypes and and one of their designs into a prototype that almost matched their initial, you know, design concept perfectly. Wow. And that usually doesn't happen, right? Sure. Because, you know, you go go from uh, art, you know, artistic, license to to practical, you know, application, and and you lose some some of the coolness. Sure, uh, but we d- we did a pretty decent job, and they asked why, and you know, people were kind of like, "Well, there's this, there's that," and my answer was, "Guys, we we're, we're it's nothing special. We're just XOMs. Right. Right? We're X product guys. We've done it for forty years. We're not brilliant. We're just battle scarred."
0: <laughs> that's actually so really that's, a
1: really good way of putting
0: it. But but i think that's yeah, also yeah, really
1: yeah. useful right
0: because like mm-hmm. nothing is more useful than you don't understand how important having experience is until you have experience
1: absolutely well a few years ago if you were a gray-haired guy in your 50s in silicon valley you were a, a dinosaur now mm-hmm. people are looking for us because we're you know we're guys that have been around and have built complex machines and designed complex products and all of a sudden Uh, You know, there's a big void because we've outsourced everything. Right. And uh, this country has forgotten how to do manufacturing uh, and advanced, uh, you know, uh, new product introduction uh, when it comes to hardware. Sure. Uh, And so there's a generation of us luckily are still kicking that aim to bring it back and, and teach the next generation.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And I, I think that adds people that have never been through it, whether building hardware or software, or both. It It's like insane how much you need people like yourself that have been there, right? Because sometimes the stupidest thing that you're spending hours on, if you just like pick up the phone or, or call you or one of your team members and just say like, Hey, I have this problem and you're just like, "Oh yeah, it's just this. It's like a 30-second fix instead of me spending hours on something, right? Or researching it online or or trying something and and obviously like if you're just doing software, it's a lot easier to try stuff in code, but when you're actually building something something physical, you know, you a lot of times you actually need to like make it physically to actually try it to see if it works, right? And you guys have the ability to do that. You know, within hours or days or however long it takes to make like a new version of my prototype or whatever I'm trying.
1: Absolutely, you know, it's it's called hardware for a reason, Kevin. Otherwise, sure. it, it was easy. <laughs> we call it we call it funware, right? You know, that's why we don't. I always tell my young engineers, it's it's not called funware for that for that reason. Sure, sure. And uh, it's very hard. It's very hard and requires a lot of you know, discipline and experience. And I'm just grateful that there's another industrial revolution going on. This whole internet of things and hardware is now being connected and digitized and made into smart pieces of equipment and machinery. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, advanced manufacturing guys like us, Mm -hmm. guys that understand how to do uh, new product introduction and integrate hardware and software are becoming, um, you know, very, very key. And our company Bright Lab productizes that and and is now and, and will now scale that capability to all the OEMs that need it.
0: Sure, so you probably get asked this a lot, but I'm curious to, for people listening to the show that have never done hardware before and are looking to build something, what advice do you tell them or like where do you tell them to kind of start?
1: hmm well the first thing is to appreciate it right you and you okay. need to be if you don't appreciate something you do you know you'll take it for granted and you and and you you just it won't um you know it just won't work for you so you have to appreciate that hardware it, you know has its own subtleties you know just because you're not a soft when I was coming up and I was a hardware guy for a generation or two you know, we were second class citizens because software and the Internet and now Apple apps and all that. But hardware has its place. Everything is molecules and atoms. It's not bits and bytes only. Sure. Right? The world is still last time I checked a, a real tactical you know, <laughs> physical place. Sure. So you have to have that appreciation for hardware and not look down on it. Interesting. So I would say that's the first first lesson to learn. The second lesson is to find a sensei. Right? We call ourselves business, or, uh, you know, sensei. Sometimes we have a very strong Eastern and martial arts kind of philosophy uh, at the foundation of our company.
2: Okay. And
1: we consider ourselves hardware senseis, and w- you know, we can guide uh, people new to that field um, in the right direction. So it's very difficult to learn it quick on your own. It, it just is. Um, so the next Step two would be, you know, find somebody that understands it, has has worked with it, and has, you know, succeeded at, okay. at it. Right? Uh, that's key because there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, were hardware based that lost right uh, the, the the game because hardware has, you know, it, it's painful. Excess inventory is the biggest killer of companies. Right? one of the biggest killers. So you got to do that, and then the third piece would be have a highly collaborative and uh open-minded relationship you do those three things and you'll you'll be off to a good start
0: okay no that's that's interesting so i'm curious do you guys like if i have an idea and i need x amount of funding to execute it do you help startups find the investment or is it up to the startup to find
1: the investment themselves we do help people. Uh, okay. I had a uh I had an angel investor arm associated with our company when I started it, it as part of our model. Yeah. I put it on hold for a while to concentrate on, you know, getting getting the hardware out the door and um we have recently you know, are looking or looking at bringing it back but through um collaboration with sandhill road right. so we have a program called the oem in residence program okay uh, we noticed that sandhill road guys all have entrepreneurs in residence eir guys right great smart brilliant kids and and ceos that have done some fantastic things and that help do help the uh, partners and the vc firms do due diligence right we've always recommended you need to counterbalance that right the yin to that yang with an oem in residence oh, and that's who we are i got so you. our company is providing you know uh, uh gratis oem and residence services to sand hill road and the investment community and we're helping several firms you know with some of their challenges and they in turn will um uh, you know forward us um uh, to people that may need our services
0: no, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I guess like too, especially if you guys open new locations, you're probably going to need, you know, you might you might have to help with funding for some of the projects just because obviously Silicon Valley's such a, you know, intense kind of community of people looking to build stuff where, and like I, you did say though, that like you'll only open in kind of major centers, but I think having the ability to fund some of that could really help you guys, right? And it makes sense if you guys are looking at that.
1: Absolutely. In fact, on our roadmap, uh, my, my, my chief strategy officer and business partner, uh, Jay Jung is a, um, is a brilliant, uh, businessman and entrepreneur. And he's actually, you know, even though we're collaborating with Sand Hill Road, he's actually looking at ways that we might, uh, you know, bring back our, our investment and, and venture arm in a more formal way. So, he, it's a little too early to talk about it, but he's got sure. some great uh, initiatives he's pushing on that front
0: so we kind of touched on it throughout the show, but I, I I want to dive a little bit deeper into exactly what you guys have in your in your space because it's huge, you have lots of equipment and kind of gear and i I think it makes sense to cover a little bit of the types of stuff that you guys have at bright lab.
1: mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have, um, it's an engineer's kind of playhouse, if you will. We have in our machine shops, we have uh, five axis, okay. fully automated, uh, you know, state-of-the-art CNC machines that can, you know, machine a perfect sphere. Okay. They're, you know, they're, light, they're lights out machines that, uh, you know, use program. They run, you know, all weekend. Uh, a lot of complex parts sure. uh, can be run unmanned. Uh, So we have, you know, several of those. Uh, We have 3D printers. Uh, We use uh, type A machines uh, uh, as our uh, 3D printing partner. Uh, They're also a customer of ours. We actually, uh, they do all the design and development work. We do all the building and support work for them. So we have the classic OEM to OEM um, uh, relationship there that's working out fine. And uh, we have a battery of their uh, printer pods, which are these uh, really cool parallel process printer pods that can do higher throughput 3D printing, both production and prototype. Oh, cool! So we're very proud of that relationship and that's sure. going along extremely well. Uh, then, you know, then you have a lot of other instrumentation, you know, that you would see in any engineering lab. But uh, I think that the state of the art uh, machining and 3D printing, that we can do here is definitely the, the standout uh, sure. equipment area.
0: No, it must be cool just to like walk through the floor some days and just like see what people are working on. I can imagine that being really cool.
1: Yeah, because all our engineers and designers are out on the same floor as our prototypers and production people. So it's a very communal and highly collaborative environment and, you know, and all, all the cells, the factory cells and the design you know, uh, stations are humming. It's a it's a fascinating scene.
0: Sure. So I, I'm curious, though, and I'm sure you get asked this um, sometimes at least. What about working on products that are maybe a little bit more secretive? How do you guys kind
1: of handle that? So we have a protocol called a sequestering protocol. Okay. And it's been developed uh, to a high degree of efficiency in the semiconductor equipment industry. Again, the industry where most of us are, you know, uh, are from and, and did all our engineering time. And, sure. and there we routinely had suppliers that built competitive products next to each other. And there's ways to physically and through, you know, uh, uh, firewalls and, and through process control, uh, engineering controls, change controls. There's a lot of um, elements to, to our sequestering process Got you. that, um, you know, has, has been working for companies for 30 years. So we don't have the problem today, okay. uh, you know, but with, if, you know, Coke and Pepsi wanted us to do some, ro- you know, bo- <laughs> robot bottling equipment, I and mean, we would clearly be able to handle that.
0: Got you. No, that's awesome. I, I figured that was kind of something that you guys have dealt with and sorted out, and especially in your career, you've probably gone through that numerous times right
1: yeah absolutely there's there's always uh, you know we're all about accelerating the product development of our customers and providing IP safe manufacturing uh, solutions so it's part of our you know business model it's part of our value proposition and it's part of our 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 history and heritage so yeah that is not an issue so
0: no that that's great so we're we're kind of coming to the end, but I'm curious about one, one last thing. If so, the product's ready and we're all happy with it. And I have, you know, done, been through the beta and everything. Do you guys handle kind of the mass manufacturing where I need a hundred thousand or a million of whatever I'm trying to make, or do you have to get that done with a partner or how does that kind of work?
1: Oh, good question. so we have, there's, um, You got to let me back up a step. Um, You need to, again, think of us as as business senseis or solution providers. Right. Okay. Another example I've always used is that the product development and life cycle is is like a Mount Everest. Right. It's a difficult thing to climb. Sure. And we're kind of the Sherpas because we've been doing it for so long
2: and we help,
1: you know, the uh, the 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 tourists or the adventurers make it up that hill, right? And right. they get all the credit. And we don't care. Sure, That's kind of the model, okay. um, uh, the, uh, the metaphor we use a lot. So when a customer goes from one phase of the product life cycle to the other, let's say they go from the hatchery, which we call our new product introduction phase, okay. to the factory, which is the name we've given our manufacturing phase so we we do all the low you know volume production here in the hatchery that's no problem. Because it's a mix of prototype and pilot right alpha beta sure. gamma units uh but once we release it um there's three you know we help pick the i p safe volume manufacturing solution uh, okay. and there's there's generally three paths that a customer that we can take a customer on. path number one is keep it here we've done you know. We've done uh 20,000 units a month of widgets here in the middle of Silicon Valley. Wow, that's awesome. People are stunned when they hear that but totally. we've done it.
2: That's great.
1: Yeah, so we can we can do it here for certain products and certain volumes, right?
2: Sure.
1: Uh, number 2, yes, they can go offshore. Okay. But let us help you find the IP safe low-cost region.
0: Right. And we
1: have and we have established and vetted partnerships Sure. with people that are that are not in China, you know, they're not in that part of the world. They're, they're in, in, in IP-safe regions. And,
2: gotcha. you know, we
1: could talk more about and get more detail on it, but we have partnerships that are safe, right? Sure. If they want to go that route. Uh, and, but, third, but last but not least is really what we recommend, and that's this, uh, this um, other hybrid approach where, we can automate their lines. We could design, because we're automation guys, right? all right. Rolex robot engineers. So we can design a customized cell or a customized factory for them. They can even put their name on it and it's powered by Bright Lab, right? Okay. So they can have all the benefits of a factory with a big sign and people drive by and go, wow, these guys are building in the US, but we are running the factory for them and so they can stay focused on innovation and we are designing automated uh, processes so that we can give them the lowest cost per unit uh, possible in this region or somewhere in the U.S. Right?
2: Sure. No,
0: that, that's great. So you kind of mentioned it and I'm curious, what do you classify, what, it, what does IP safe mean for people that don't really understand the space?
1: Great, great, great question, Kevin. So I, it's all about when people ask Robert, "What are you doing? Shouldn't you be retired?" You know, sure. You and I always tell them, "Look, guys, it's a, it's an important mission we're on. It's about saving jobs in the U.S., bringing jobs back, and keeping IP safe." Sure. Right. And when we mean safe, is we that where it was generated, which is usually here, we want to keep it. Right. Sure. And so intellectual property is basically. You know, a big chunk of the value of your company if you're a hardware company, right? It's how much intellectual property you have, how can you keep it safe, how can you prevent it from being diffused or stolen or sure. copied or whatever, right? Sure. And what we're all about is um, the product life cycle, as I mentioned, early life, that IP is very fresh and very vulnerable like a baby right? right you want to protect your child
2: sure
1: right you're not going to send it overseas to boarding school right? sure, sure. When it's, you know when it's six months old who does that nobody right. so why do you do it with your ip and so as that ip matures and we have ways of measuring it right i, I referred earlier to the product maturity index uh, sure. pmi that's a way of measuring ip as it matures it becomes less vulnerable when it's a, when it's twenty when you have a, that, that baby of yours is twenty yeah maybe you'll send it to boarding school overseas no. now or eighteen or whatever you know you're safer it's safer sure. but not before right? right so what we're all about is if your IP is fresh and it's vulnerable keep it as close to you as possible Which makes sense after it becomes less fresh starts to become a non-issue to you then let let us look at helping you go somewhere else using our vetted network of partners.
0: No, that that makes a lot of sense. So I I don't know if you ever get asked this, but, and you probably do, but I'm, I'm very curious. You have access to this entire thing. Is there any personal projects that you're building? And you don't have to tell me necessarily like a specific thing, but like, are you currently building some sort of hardware thing just in your kind of, maybe not spare time because you probably don't have any, you're running a startup, but like, you know, are you working on something just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, it's funny you should ask. Uh, we actually have a uh, IoT product of our own. It's okay. called the Grill Tender. Okay. You can go to grilltender.com and check it out. It's the world's first IoT and Internet connected grill. We have uh, automated the, the temperature control process, being robot engineers. We did that. It's got a really cool steampunk design. We built a few hundred of these things. Okay. And it's kind of a little side project. keeps our development skills fresh and it allows us to, play, to role play the customer a little bit, which we always think is important, right? Sure. To provide the best service possible to your customer, walking you know, a thousand miles in their shoes kind of thing. So, yeah, so grilltender.com dot uh, com can show people our product and, uh, you know, it's available and it cooks a perfect brisket. You don't have to be a Texas pit master. You know, our our claim to fame is even a California person can do real barbecue with the grill tender. <laughs>
0: that, that's amazing. And I, I love that. But sadly, Robert, we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and Bright Lab online.
1: Sure. Uh, Just go to www.brightlab.com. It's B-R-I-T-E-L-A-B. It's spelled a little different because we're different, right? We're very unique. We're OEM certified guys. So, uh, brightlab.com, and you can see what we do, and you can uh, access a lot of information from that.
0: Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and uh, have a good rest of your day.
1: Well, thank you, Kevin. I enjoyed this uh, very much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.